Can you feel it in the air? Zags on air. Let's go. Welcome to Zags on Air. I am your host, Bobby Levitan, and here again, filling in for Julian Anchetta this week, we have our executive producer, Thomas Gallagher. Thomas, thanks for hopping in again. Yeah, I'm sticking it out here for a few weeks. We'll see if Julian comes back, hopefully, but I'll I'll take one for the team. And uh, I feel like I'm doing a good job. I think so. So We're, we're, we're glad to have you filling in. And uh, Julian, we miss you. Uh, come back when, when you can, bud. Um, but before we, we get into everything sports related today and before we get to Gabe um, I want to give a little shout out to everyone on our podcast who's really done an amazing job in putting this all together I know Thomas me you and Julian are the ones whose names are mentioned but everyone behind the scenes does an amazing job and I feel like we should give them props because our podcast really wouldn't exist without them so I want to thank you Thomas I want to thank Julian obviously our host and then I want to thank our editors as well, Antoine Green. He's been doing a really good job for us. Our social media people, Tyler Dawson, Max Montoya, they've been amazing, huge help. And then our editors, Corinne Gutierrez and Tiana Vorath, they've been amazing. So shout out to you guys. You guys have been amazing. You are a huge, huge part of this podcast, and this wouldn't be anywhere near where it is without your guys' support and help. So thank you, you guys, for all your help. Um, okay, moving on to sports. Before we get into um, the Gonzaga sports recap, let's talk a little bit about March Madness and what happened in this past weekend. Uh, amazing games. We had both the Final Four and the National Championship. We'll start with the Final Four. Uh, Nova-Kansas Nova, wasn't really that much of a contest. Kansas really dominated much of that game. I want to focus more on the Duke-UNC game because obviously they had a bunch of storylines coming in. Coach K's last game, possibly for you know their first time meeting up in the tournament. Uh, it was a hell of a game too, close game. Uh, UNC ended up squeaking out in the end, sending Coach K home. Uh, Thomas, why don't you give me your thoughts on that game? I know it was a hell of a game to watch. Yeah, uh, for me personally, I I was rooting for UNC as most of the world was. Um, it it is kind of it just goes to show that kind of that storybook ending is is never it's never something that comes easy and it's never something that comes often and that <laughs> the storybook ending for coach K was far from it in this end final season with them losing to UNC at the end of the season not winning the ACC tournament and then falling short to UNC again and you would you would think they'd have they had the personnel to to definitely close it out but down the line those free throws by Mark Williams and um, oh, Keels really those are, those are missing those. It's just, it just, uh, it shows that, I mean, anyone who plays basketball can be good at free throws. It's one of those things that doesn't require athleticism or a certain skill set that is kind of talent based. It, it just requires practice and hard work and preparation for big moments and no matter any level, it's it's something that has to be prioritized for a team to to win in those kind of close games. So the the the, the Tar Heels had that down the stretch and some big shots made. So it wasn't surprising to see them come out of it when when they were the ones who were you know handling that moment a lot better than the than the Blue Devils. Yeah, and who would have thought UNC coming in as an eight seed 
would just go on this magical run. I, they just happened to, you know, catch it at the at the perfect time, and it led them all the way to the championship against Kansas, which 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 we'll get into now. Hell of a game. I mean, Kansas just got out, didn't do well at all. Just started slow, weren't making their shots. UNC jumped out to a 16 point lead in the first half, and I think went into halftime up 15. Mm-hmm. But I mean, second half, se- yeah, second half was all Kansas. Kansas took over, came back, stormed back. And the game was pretty much back and forth for the last seven or eight minutes. And then Kansas happened to squeak it out in the end. Huge shot by McCormick at the end to put him up three. And then had the, Kansas had lockdown defense for the last possession. But, um, yeah, congratulations to Kansas. I think it's their fourth national title in school history. Um, but sort of, I guess, talking about this tournament as a whole, Thomas, what are your overall thoughts on it? Were you pleased by the madness, I guess? Oh, it's always madness. It's always madness. You never, you're never surprised by that is, um, but there's a lot of good storylines. And I mean, it's not only the upsets that happen, but also the upsets of storylines. Like there's all these ways things can go about in terms of people base their brackets on what could be the sweetest story or what could be the perfect outcome for, for everyone or for maybe their, their community of people, if they go to a certain school and this this tournament had so many opportunities to go so many different ways, but it, it is kind of I, I was really happy about how it turned out with those final four teams, all teams that kind of everyone has a sort of um, a opinion about because a lot of times you have teams that show up that never really um, have done much in the past as a team or kind of just came out of nowhere. And sometimes you have those teams are not as um, electric as per se a new team like St. Peter's is, but all four of these teams had history and had, you, you could go any way about it and how you wanted to root for them. And um, there was a lot of hate and there was a lot of, um, actually, I feel like this final four had more hate than support for teams. It was more so picking the team to lose. It felt like almost like a, like a presidential election. You just, you just wanted you just wanted one to lose you didn't want one to win kind of thing and um when you have blue bloods like that it it, it usually happens that way just because not everyone goes to these power schools so everyone has strong opinions about them because of their dominance so i I do like that because um it brought a lot of emotion i think to a lot of fans who didn't have as much stake in it but could create it off of their own hate so that was interesting, but what, what do you think about the whole thing? Yeah, it's it's crazy going off your point with all of the madness that ensued, you know, with St. Peter's going on, the, on their magical run. A lot of top teams, including our dearly beloved Gonzaga team going out early. Um, it's crazy that with all of that madness, we still ended up with Blue Bloods in the Final Four. And when looking back on your bracket, you realize, like, it actually kind of makes sense how those four teams up there which is crazy, but I, I enjoyed the tournament. It was, you know, it was great having fans back in the seats, seeing the emotion, all the happiness and the joy, and then the sadness and the tears. I mean, that's, that's what makes March March, doesn't it? Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and it was a great, great mm-hmm. tournament. Um, I also want to sort of touch base about the women's tournament. That had an amazing ending, too. Um, in the Final Four, UConn upset the defending champion Stanford Cardinal to move on to the final. In South Carolina, I mean, they, they just dominated the entire way. They 
ran through Louisville in the Final Four, setting up that UConn-South Carolina clash in the national championship. And South Carolina pretty much dominated that game too. I think UConn got it, got it, got it into a sit within six in the second half, but South Carolina was just too overpowering. Their size was too much for UConn to handle. And South Carolina walked away with their second national championship, I think, in the last five years. I sort of I sort of looked at it as like a old dynasty versus new dynasty matchup because obviously UConn has been dominating women's college basketball for the last decade or so. And then you have this new resurgence in South Carolina, like I said, winning their second title in five years. So I feel like this sort of could have been a passing of the torch game in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but shout out to South Carolina. You know, they totally deserved it. Best team in the nation all year and clearly the best team in the tournament as well. So congratulations to them. Hopefully our Gonzaga women can get somewhere there soon. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But, um, yeah, congratulations to South Carolina. It is, um, in, it is interesting, though, how the women's tournament has a lot more predictability. And I think the reason yeah. is, is because I think the women's game is still – much younger uh, than the men's game. I, I feel like they're they're ten more than ten, like twenty or thirty years behind on their progression into becoming a more dynamic college sport. Like I, I, I compare the UConn women's team to that John Wooden UCLA dominance, and that yeah. that development of everyone else having to match their excellence is you know, coming to fruition with that South South Carolina becoming a top team. North Notre Dame has been pretty good. Louisville and uh, a few other teams, Stanford, they're all starting to catch up to that sort of level of playing. And um, I think down the line, you'll see more of those lower seed upsets happening as the game grows because a lot of high school um, women basketball players will have more of a, a reason to go to other schools because the game is so much more developed that there's not as much of a, a top, a top horse. That's just winning every race with UConn. Like that was, if you're every high school, it seemed like every, the best high school girls would just automatically be headed to Giorgiama. But now it, it's, it's, it's spreading, spreading out more. And I, I think it's going to, be better from here on out and there'll be a, even just as much if not more unpredictability like the men's tournament and the madness they they um they bring to the to the sport they'll have that i think coming up with the women's basketball now heading into the gonzaga sports recap starting it off with the men's baseball team who took the series over the pepperdine waves here at home two to one Tough start in game one, taking the loss 7-5 in an 11-inning back and forth. They could never quite take the lead in that one, but they would take the lead in game two and take the W with 7-2. Tristan Breeling was the starter on the mound with a solid six-inning showing with eight Ks, and Alex Gomez got his first save of the season with a nearly perfect three innings. Center fielder Enzo Apodaca went 4-for-5, four four starting the Zags offense with a solo Apotaco home run first of the season, just a triple shy of the cycle. Heading into Game 3, the Zags kept that thing rolling with a 7-4 series clinch. Owen Wilde went the furthest he has ever gone, starting a game with a 7 and a quarter innings, striking out 7. Michael Spellacy would close it out with a 6th save of the season. 
First baseman Shea Kramer led the way going three for four with two ribbies and a 390-foot triple to center in the fifth. Ezra Samperi stepped in behind the plate giving Randall the day off, also posting a solid three RBIs for the day. Zags are undefeated on the season when they put at least six runs on the board. So let's keep the runs rolling. The Zags now will host the Wazoo Cougs tonight at 6 p.m. here in Spokane. So if you're around, go head out and watch some Zags baseball. And they will then head over to the Bay Area to take on the San Francisco Dons for the weekend series. Currently, the Zags are at the top of the WCC and will keep moving up the national ranks going from 17 to 15 over last weekend's performance. Heading into the men's tennis side of things, the Zags were home for the weekend and decided the Stevens Center courts needed some cleaning, sweeping the USF Dons and the Santa Clara Broncos. On the Friday W, starting off, Leon Reuter and Tom Han were dominant in doubles, while Sasha Trukula and Matthew Hollingsworth climbed back in their doubles match to clinch the first point for the Zags. Heading into singles, Arthas de la Bassetier came out hot, taking his two sets 6-0, 6-2, with the Zags up two points, Matthew Hollingsworth would follow up with straight sets. And then the hand man would close it out in two sets for the sweep against the Dons. Heading on into Sunday, the Zags would double down with the same doubles teams as they would clinch the first point of the day. Heading into singles, new guys would put points on the board as Pablo Galvin Gomez was the leading man taking his sets in dominant fashion 6-2, 6-1. He would then be followed up by Leon Reuter with an impressive performance on court five. And again, the same man, closer Tom Han, battled it out to take his second set, ending the weekend strong for the Zags. These guys will head on down to SoCal for the weekend to take on the LMU Lions and the Pepperdine Waves. They currently are third in the WCC behind USD and Pepperdine, so the Zags should take care of business against the Lions, but they will need an excellent all-around team performance to take down the waves. Heading into the women's side of things, they were facing the exact same teams but on the road. They would struggle in that first matchup against the Dons, but Jenna Sloan would put up a point there for the Zags in singles, but that's all they could do on that day. But they would look for the comeback heading into Saturday against the Broncos, and that is exactly what they would do. Starting off in the doubles, Frederike Savare and Jenna Sloan led the charge, taking their set but the Broncos would take the next two, giving them the first point of the day. And unfortunately, the Broncos would take the next point with a singles win. But now the Zags were starting to make their climb back as Browerman and Kalinic would take two points from the Broncos in their single sets. And now with a 2-2 battle, the Broncos would retake the lead with another singles win. With the 3-2 lead, the Zags were still unfazed as Sloan would take her singles, matched the distance, and would take the win, now tying up the score once again 3-3. Three three. Next point wins, and Oda would come up clutch, closing out the comeback for the Zags after take, taking the loss in the first set. She took the next two, and the Zags would walk away, giving the Broncos their first conference loss of the season. The ladies are looking to continue this momentum as they will be home against the Pepperdine Waves and the LMU Lions here at the Stevens Center. So if you're around town and you want to watch some tennis, go check them out. Heading into the men's track side of things, the distance team of gentlemen 
headed to Eugene, Oregon for the Hayward premiere to compete at the World Championship Ready Hayward Field. These guys were split up on the 3K steeple, 5K, and 10K. Cooper Laird would take a W in the open steeple, boasting a 9-10 debut. Jackson Mackey followed up with 5th in that race with a 9-15. In the invite steeple, Ben Hogan took 9th with a time of 8-58. Heading into the invite 5K, Evan Bates just fell short of a PR, but placed 7th with a time of 14-03. In the 10K, the Zags decided to shake up the all-time top 10 list. Kyle, Kyle Rendosevich and Riley Moore placed second and third, throwing down times of 29-27 and 29-36. Both are now in the program top 10 in the 10K, both at spots 3 and 4. The winner of the race, the program 10K leader and a previous guest on the show, James Moore, cruised to an NCAA championship qualifying time of 28-29. He is starting off strong here early, and we hope to see him continuing his success as we go forth, as, w as well as the other gentlemen on the team, as we go forth into the outdoor track season. Heading into the women's side of things, they headed to California, split between the Stanford Invite and the Mike Finelli Classic in San Francisco. On the Friday in Stanford, the women 1,500-meter runners Alicia Anderson and Brittany Hansen both boasted PRs of 424 and 433, now each holding top 10 program spots of 3rd and 7th in the 5K. Elizabeth Dennis took second in her heat with a fifth in program history of 1626. To cap off the day, Kristen Garcia took the 10K program record in a highly competitive race, coming away with a 3327. Congratulations to Kristen, and we look to see more of this program record-breaking stuff from her as she goes on the season. She recently came off an injury and was unable to compete in the indoor season, so this is a great start for her for outdoor track. On Saturday in SF. Freshman Ellie Armbruster, who started off hot here for the Zags in this outdoor season, continues her growth in the one-lap 400-meter race, throwing down a time of 57.47, another program record. Coming up, the track teams will have a down week, but some will compete at the Whitworth Peace Meet this weekend. So if you want to watch people run around in a circle, go head over there to watch them do that. Heading into men's golf. These guys are currently current competing at the moment in Wyoming at the Wyoming Cowboy Classic and are currently 15th and looking to move up the ranks as we speak. They will be heading to Santa Barbara the following early next week. Women's golf side of things. The ladies currently sit 12th after one day in Macon, Georgia. They are playing as we speak as well, and they're looking to improve their positioning just like the gentlemen. They will continue their competition as they will head to Seattle for the Chambers Bay invite early next week. On the rowing side of things, the men had a week off. So they were chilling, training, getting the legs ready to roll against Washington State this upcoming Saturday. On the women's side of things, they competed against the Washington State team this past Saturday. They only had 18 boat races and only two races in the Varsity 8 race. The Zags took second with a time of 7.24, and in the Novice 8 race, they took first with a time of 7.21. The Rowers will now host Seattle University this upcoming Saturday and will celebrate their seniors and alumni. So if you're in town and down to watch some fast rowing on the river, go out to see the Lady Zags. All right, with that ending our sports recap, we will head on into this interview. Um, but today we have a very, very special guest uh, taking a break from his season to come join us uh, from Eagle, Idaho. 
uh, one of Gonzaga baseball's best players, uh, Gabe Hughes. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so we want to sort of start sort of with your childhood and then sort of growing up, and we'll get to where you are now in, in a little bit. But sort of starting off, um, like I said, you're from Eagle, Idaho, which is – it's it stayed over, but I guess it's like a six-hour drive, something like that, right? Um, so, like, what was your childhood like, I guess, sort of growing up, the dynamic in the household? What, what was all that like? Yeah, so um, growing up, uh, when I was nine – I mean, probably the biggest event of my childhood, when I was nine, my family adopted four kids. So I have five siblings. I'm the oldest of six, um, and the four youngest are all adopted. They're all related. Um, my parents are – saints angels incredible people um but yeah that was that's kind of the defining moment i think of my childhood like that was one of the biggest events um both my parents are doctors they both have their own practice in nampa idaho um and i mean as long as i can remember i've always played sports uh me and my biological brother we both played baseball basketball football basically anything growing up um, he currently pitches at Oregon, so he's a. I know he pitched against yeah. you guys, right? When they yeah, came here, yeah, he started against us when they came here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a divisional athlete at Oregon. I'm a divisional athlete here, so ended up working out pretty well for us. But I the I just I mean been playing something for as long as I can remember year round. Um, I mean, growing up, Idaho's a pretty small um, athletics market. It's yeah. I think in my graduating class. In the entire state, there were three Division One baseball players, oh, myself wow. included, um, and two of them ended up here. One of the other ones was from Post Falls, which is North Idaho, just like 30 minutes away. Um, so it's a, it's definitely a smaller arena for athletics. Um, but you know, I got to travel all over the country. I've grown up, played in Georgia, Maryland, um, Arizona, obviously Washington, Oregon, California. I played all over the country. Got to travel some really cool places. Um, yeah, and then I ended up here. When, when you when you talk about when your family um brought in the four new kids, I assume you being you said you were nine. Yeah, yeah. How, that must have been I feel like a huge sort of change for you. What was are there some like things that about your daily life that you had to sort of change or adapt to with four yeah, new siblings? Yeah, um, I mean that's that's for me so long ago that I don't really remember a time without it, right. but. I mean, it's just adjusting to I – w- I had a family of four before that, and then overnight it was a family of eight. So just adjusting to double the amount of people in my house. Um, but it was – I mean, I think the biggest adjustment was it was four new people to get to know. Um, four – like, I grew up with my brother, so I obviously I knew him really well, but it was four new human beings that were just in my house that I had to get to know, like find out what they liked, find out what they disliked, um, find out who they were. Um, so I think that was just the biggest adjustment was that period of time, that transition, um, learning who they were and that transition from adopted sibling to sibling. So with your brother also being a collegiate athlete in baseball, in that household, um, even with those four being added, was there a, a competitive energy within the house and a lot of butting heads? And um, can you can you think of like maybe a specific story or moments where you and maybe your brother would butt heads or your other siblings on maybe something in the house that you wanted to do or whatever? Yeah, me and my brother were, I mean, still are competitive about everything. Um, both of us are incredibly competitive people. Um, so we'd be, we had this little pop-up basketball hoop in the living room. We'd play in basketball and it'd get too heated. One of us would try <laughs> like try to shul- like lower yeah. the shoulder, um, get really physical. Um, we'd be playing touch football in the yard, playing wiffle ball, whatever it was. 
um, as soon as something didn't go one of our ways, we were just so competitive that immediately became chippy, immediately became personal. Um, and there were multiple times where my dad had to separate us because we just, <laughs> as soon as something little happened when we were playing basketball, playing football, as soon as something little happened, it immediately became personal and started attacking each other, <laughs> like, as a person. Um, so, yeah, it was, I mean, growing up was an incredibly competitive atmosphere um, with my brother, and I just wanted to be the best at everything, um, wanted to be better than each other at everything. And I think that absolutely plays into here. I think it's a really competitive environment on any D1 team, but I think that having to compete with someone my entire life absolutely prepared me for college sports. Did, did your brother give you any sort of crap after Oregon came in? Yeah, um, <laughs> he gave me, I mean, they won. He gave up three runs, four runs, lasted an inning and a third. Yeah. So it was kind of mutual. <laughs> sort of you down. Yeah, they won. And, and, and but you didn't he pitch. Did, so yeah, like. and I didn't pitch. Um, <laughs> they won. He didn't do great. So it kind of evened out. <laughs> and there hasn't been any uh, games that you two have been against each other yet to where you maybe both pitched in a game? No, at least. not and that, since – Okay. I, that's, I think that's the last time because we went to the same high school, so we played on the okay. same team. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, not since – that's – it's been forever since we played against each other. Okay, yeah. Um, so going into something specific about your family, we found that uh, so your grandfather, Donald Hughes, played in the minor leagues. Um, when you were younger, did you have a relationship with your, your grandfather and talked about that, or did you did you know about that, or was it something you learned later on when baseball became more – uh, prominent in your life yeah no I, that's something I always knew about because um, I have a really close relationship with my grandparents so like we go camping when I was younger like they take us camping and my grandpa would bring a plastic bat and some wiffle balls so that even when we were on vacation I'd still be able to get some swings in um, I like playing catch with him they had this big yard behind their house um, and we go out and hit baseballs or throw baseballs um, so yeah it's absolutely something that was a part of my life, just knowing that um, I'm not the first person in my family to really be this into baseball. And as I've progressed through college and as my career has taken off more so than it was in high school, um, he's become even more invested because it was something he wasn't able to fulfill forever ago. And now I have the chance to carry on that dream and carry on that legacy. So it's absolutely yeah. been something a part of my whole life. I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure he has a lot of stories and sort of experiences to, to tell you. Is there one sort of lesson or story that he told you that sticks out in particular that you always sort of remember? Um, he was so he was a first baseman, and back when I still played first base before I became a pitcher only, um, there's a lot of little stuff that he told me, like little nitpicky stuff, like stuff you wouldn't pick up normally in practice that you can only get from playing games for. 20 years um and so i mean i just remember like after games he texts me like hey here's like here's something like i think you could do like try this next time you go out try that next time you go out um and so yeah just every once in a while i'd be like a text hey here's something like i, I was watching like i think you could do this um next time you go out and try and implement this so even on that note your grandpa and your, your grandparents they are they able to come out to a lot of home games here or is it mostly they're watching it from from the television no they get to travel a lot they have a class c rv they've been oh wow they've been, they yeah, they've been mobile yeah okay, okay. So they're, yeah they've so, been mobile so they're moving for forever moving. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, yeah. you told us they take you camping but they their lifestyle is camping right? yeah yeah no they they live in the camper year round basically um my parents just built a house and they're about to move into it but for my whole whole life growing up i can remember they'd 
because half their kids live in Idaho and the other half live in Ohio. So half they'd spend um, with us in Idaho and then they'd go down to Arizona for the winter because it was warm there and then they go over to Ohio. So they just, they've been on the road for as long as I can remember. Wow, that's, that's super cool. That's really cool. That's I, the dream right there. Be, <laughs> I've, ne- I've never been in an RV, but I always want to. I, was, I feel like that'd just be super, super cool. I wouldn't want to be in there with you. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> okay. But um, talking about your um, experience developing your love for baseball, was there any teams or players that you enjoyed or you rooted for when you were a kid? Yeah. Growing up, I was always a fan of the Yankees because growing up in Idaho – we don't have any professional sports teams, so you kind of just have to pick and choose um, wherever you can get. So a lot of people were fans of the Mariners because they were close. Uh, the Cubs had a farm team in Idaho, um, so people were fans of them. But growing up, I always liked watching the Yankees because they won. It was really fun to watch a team that was good every year. Um, any player in particular? Uh, yeah, my favorite player has always been Mariano Rivera. He okay. was, uh, I mean, best closer of all time, yeah. most saves of all time, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. First unanimous Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, he's always been my favorite player um, because, I mean, I, I just loved how he pitched. He was just – he was never, like, the flashiest guy. never had the biggest stuff or the best stuff, but he got – like, he always came in got the job done. Like, you always could depend on him, always could rely on him to come in, and whatever you needed, he was going to get it done. And I always – like, I love that dependability. Um, and – yeah, something like I always watched him, and I, that's something I try to imp- emulate in my game is just having that ability to be dependable every time I go out. That man was lethal. Yeah. That, like when he came out, you just dude, like the game was over. The best, the best cutter of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So when when did you know that baseball was going to be your number one, and that was where you wanted to put your focus in? Uh, I knew that after my eighth grade year. Um, I, I stopped playing football and probably fifth or sixth grade um so didn't, didn't really like getting hit and mm-hmm. didn't like Fair hitting enough. people so it Fair didn't really enough. work out too well for me stopped playing basketball after my eighth grade year um because going into high school i was like you know what like i kind of want to just focus on one sport um and right now i feel like that's baseball like I, I didn't really have the passion or love for basketball i did for baseball um and so probably about that time it was about eighth grade ninth grade when i started solely focusing on baseball um because I ended up committing here as a sophomore, so that was 10th grade. So then that one, that was when I was like, you know what, like maybe there's going to be something to this. Like maybe I could keep playing in college, and then who knows after that. I, w- I want to talk about your recruiting process in a, in, a, in a second, but before we get to your college days, um, I want to go I want to go back to your high school. And I know you were quite the high school player as well. I know a two-time conference player of the year and Gatorade player of the year. How did, how, how did that sort of affect your mindset, I guess, being a high school player? Did you pay a lot of attention to those accomplishments? Or were you just trying to go out and pitch like every day, just like it was a game that you loved, you know what I mean? I was just trying to go out and play baseball. You know, I, it wasn't really something I was thinking of, um, especially my junior year when I won the first Gator Player of the Year. Um, I was going out and playing. Like, I didn't have any thoughts in my mind that I was going to be that guy at the end of the year. Um because, I mean, as a sophomore, when I committed, there was all this pressure to go out and prove that, like, I, I'd never played on varsity before I committed here. So there was all this pressure to go out and prove that I didn't just, I wasn't just some name. Like, I wasn't just some showcase guy. Like, I could actually play baseball. And then my junior year, when 
after I had a pretty good sophomore year and my junior is just like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and play. Like, I don't, there's no pressure or anything. I just have another couple of years of high school, like might as well play, have fun. Um, and ended up doing well enough to win Gatorade player of the year. And then my senior year, it was like, oh, wow. Like I have to do that again. <laughs> I had a really good year last year. I have to do even better than that to, to win it again, like to repeat and to show that I'm not just some fluke. So no, I mean, I just went out to play. Sure, there was pressure. Like, there was pressure to prove that um, I deserved to, like, be a Division One commit as a, fre- a sophomore. There was pressure to prove that I earned my f- the first Gator play of the year and I had to go out and prove it again. But I was just going out to play. I feel like that's when people do their best is when they're just not really focusing yeah. on the small stuff and just go out and do what they do best. Yeah, don't overthink it. It's don't big overthink time. It, yeah. So you developing that uh, maturity so early on in high school in terms of your career in baseball – is there anyone specific in that time period that really helped you elevate your game, whether that be maybe um, a teacher, maybe even a teammate or a coach? Anyone specific that really helped you grow as a player? Yeah, after my sophomore year, I played on a travel team uh, called the Idaho Cubs. And the coach there, we came into the first day of practice, and he said, my goal over – this summer isn't to teach you how to play the game of baseball. You know how to teach, you know how to play the game of baseball. My goal is to teach you how to think about the game of baseball. Um, so he's like, you know what, catchers, you're gonna call your own games. And that, as a high schooler, that's super weird because pitch coaches always call the pitches. She's like, catchers, you're gonna call the games. Um, hitting wise, I'm probably not gonna give you any signals, but like, if you think you should bunt, bunt. If you think you should hit and run, hit and run. If you think you should steal, steal. Because my goal, again, isn't to teach you how to play baseball, it's how to teach you how to think about baseball and how to how to have that, I don't know, that mentality, that forethought of trying to think through everything. And I think that was the first time, because I played for him that summer and then the summer going into my senior year. And I think those summers really were fundamental to my development as a baseball player because that was the first time I can remember having to think about what I was doing. I wasn't just going up there and throwing whatever pitches my coach called. I had to come out after innings and be like, hey, here's what I wanted to throw in this situation. Um, why'd you call this? I had to think about what I was throwing. I had to think about how to get hitters out. And when you put that responsibility onto a high school kid, all of a sudden you have the ability to have a different level of determination, different level of drive than most other guys who are still doing what, like doing everything their coach does. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I don't know, just having to have that maturity because there wasn't anyone to hold my hand that summer. So I think that that coach um, specifically was key to my development. Now, obviously, college is a different breed, and obviously, coaches—I feel like coaches have a little bit more control in college. But is there any sort of any lessons from that team, or any like any things your coach taught you about like thinking about the game of baseball? Is there anything you took from that, and uh, and you still use as a, as a uh, pitching for Gonzaga now? Yeah, and I think Harm, the pitching coach here, I think he does a really similar job of that. A lot of it is why you know why are you doing this um because he's not big on like making little changes here little changes there um they're like broad strokes things that he wants to see but his whole thing is if you want to try something try something and if it works like cool great like explain to me what you're thinking explain what you're feeling um and great we can implement it um and so i think that same approach is works really well for a lot of guys um and a couple of like of the pitchers in my class it works really well for um so I think that is a lesson I still try to carry over is work on things, tweak things, like try, mess around, try new things. If it works, great. If not, no worries. But 
if it works, know why you're doing it and what the purpose is. Nice. I like that. Yeah. So going back to before that summer of going out and having that experience with that coach, you committed when you were a sophomore, and you said before you even played varsity, and you committed to here. So what what was that like for you? Was Gonzaga like the first team that reached out, and then you came, and every just everything seemed to fit, or was there a little more a thought behind you deciding to to come here at 16? Yeah. Um, so that August, I was playing in a tournament down in Centralia, Oregon, and Washington, Centralia, Washington, and that coach Harm was there to see. Jake Rutherford, a guy who's on the team now. Um, he was there to see him. I happened to play on the same team. Um, Jake was pitching. He saw me make a throw from right field. I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I'll see, like, stay, see if this guy pitches. Like, why not? And I happened to be pitching next, and I had a really good two innings. He watched the first inning from behind the fence, then the second inning from center field because he had to go catch a flight. So he saw two innings of me pitch, gave his card to my coach, um, and was like, hey, have him call me. So I called him. So we set up a visit, came up here mid-September, and that was Gonzaga was the first place that it offered me. I was a sophomore. That's incredibly early. Even at that time, it was incredibly early. And now I think there are rules in place, so you can't, um, so you can't talk to them before the junior year. I don't remember exactly what it is, yeah. but Gonzaga was the first school that offered me, and I came here, and loved the coaching staff. Um, they're all really passionate about what they were doing. Loved the facilities. Um, loved the place, but. Something really big for my family and I was education and the ability to get a great education while I was here. Um, and so after we got the whole tour, like talked about how great the education is, talked about how good the program is. Um, I remember my dad asking me, what's better for you? And I didn't have an answer. I, like I couldn't think of what would be a better fit for me um, because it was like, I guess my dream school had always been Stanford. And it was like, am I really going to hold out to see if maybe they offer me or am I going to go to this incredible university, incredible program? So, yeah, the, the thing became what would be better. And I don't know. I just came here. I loved it and haven't looked back since. So, this, yeah, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> thank you for choosing Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mr. Hughes, for, <laughs> yeah. for asking you that question. Yeah, that's, seriously. That's big time for, for our program. <laughs> and big time for you. You're doing great. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's worked out well. Um, yeah, so so fast forwarding to today, sort of, as I know you mentioned you're getting ready to graduate at the end of this year. So sort of looking back on your experience from when you first started here, sort of reflecting on it, what has it been like for you? Obviously, I would hope the answer is yes, I used to, that you still like – um, are glad you chose to come here, I guess, if you know what I mean. But how has that whole experience been like for you? I think the whole experience has passed in like five seconds. Yeah. I feel like I started college five months ago and I'm about to graduate in five weeks. Um, <clears throat> so, wow, I mean, I don't even know how to sum it up um, because, <laughs> again, like so much of it was half of my freshman year was gone because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, last year was all online, so it was only – a semblance of what like normal college life should be so this year we've kind of gotten back to normal and I think reflecting back on the last three years I think I'm a completely different person leaving college than I am coming in and I'm really thankful for the people that I've been surrounded with and lucky enough to be surrounded with because I have an incredible group of teammates who push me better every day challenge me um, call me soft if I'm not <laughs> meeting their <laughs> expectations so I've, I've had some incredible teammates who have pushed me harder than I thought I could ever be pushed before. I've had incredible coaches who have opened doors for me that I thought wouldn't be open. I've had the opportunity to 
play for Team USA. I've had some incredible opportunities over the last three years, and I'm just really thankful for all of them because, again, like I said, coming out of college, I'm a completely per- different person than I am than I was going in. Mm-hmm. So going into that aspect of your teammates and that culture that you found here, is there anything that your you and your teammates outside of baseball like to do, maybe to decompress or what you guys do when you're hanging out? I, I was listening or I read an article about you and what came up was the three two four garage house. <laughs> so I was interested when I saw that. I'm like, well, that's a place they must go there. What what are the homies doing there? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we a lot of okay. <laughs> So I'm a pitcher, and a lot of pitchers golf. So I go golfing with oh, like nice. once it get once the weather gets nicer, I go golfing with my teammates a lot. Um, hit the driving range, go play 18, go down to Esmeralda, um, get their twilight rate, and call it a day. It's a nice little couple hours activity. Um, you know, in the hotels that we've been traveling on, we play a lot of cards. Um, play a lot of cards. <laughs> um, I think I mean on bus rides we play cards. Play cards everywhere. Um, I mean, we've had playing ping pong over at twelve oh three, playing Mario Kart, playing Mario Golf. Um, so just the I mean, just a lot of yeah, yeah, everywhere. anything that we can compete <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because when you have a group of hyper competitive people, no one wants to lose at anything, and mm-hmm. so everyone takes any competition we have really seriously. So, yeah, I mean, anything where. Even if we're not on the field, we're still competing mm-hmm. in little stuff. Yeah. Is, is there anyone on the team that's sort of like the jokester that's just always trying to make everyone laugh? Tyler Rando. Definitely yeah. Tyler. Yeah. Tyler Rando. Uh, he's, he's the catcher. catcher. Yeah. He's the catcher, yeah. So does he's he ever catcher. screw with you when you're playing? <laughs> no. Not okay. when we're playing. Because yeah, he knows, he knows yeah. when I'm pitching, I'd bite his head off. Yeah. <laughs> once we're off the field, yeah, he's all jokes. He's uh-huh. all smiles. That's great. I that's love awesome. that. And, I mean, I, I want to ask that again, but. So the three, two, four garage house is that just the place you guys go? Or yeah, it's. it's just, I mean, it's just known as the garage because it, oh, okay. it has the big garage in the Logan neighborhood. Um, and yeah, it's just somewhere we can go to hang out because there's room for everyone because they have this big, big oh, garage. Okay, that's nice. Um, it's like we go there uh, to have K Court, which is like just something we do in the fall. Um, we go there for team meetings. Um, but like when it gets nice out, we just go there because they have a nice little garage. But there's also like a wide open backyard. Um, place to die, play whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's really convenient because there's enough room for everyone on our mm-hmm. team. Yeah. So going into now your actual playing, you've had a lot of success early on, and last year you you excelled at a high level with a few WCC pitchers of the week, and I believe right WCC pitcher of the year and then you or no not no not in that wasn't me okay appreciate it okay but you were you were um weren't you collegiate uh freshman all-american mm-hmm. which is a big time which is awesome but um going into playing you had a pivotal moment last year where you were batting and you, you hurt your your right hand correct yeah can you can you go through like what happened there and how it changed your what you do now because now you're not a two-way player before before you're a first base also so right yeah, so that was a midweek game against Washington State. Um, get up to bat. It was my first bat of the game. I uh, had a 2-0 count, so I'm sitting slider, and I'm in the mentality. I'm going to swing at anything. Because as a hitter, I was always a free swinger. I didn't really take a lot of walks. Uh, swung at a lot of bad pitches. And so I'm up there with the mentality, you know, I'm going to swing at Like, I'm going to get a hanging slider. I'm going to swing at it no matter what. 
and the pitch comes and I think it's a slider so I start swinging and turns out it's a fastball that was going to hit me like it, if I turned into it it was going to be a hit by pitch would have gotten a free base swung at it anyways um, and it went right off my fingers Ooh. chipped a little piece off my knuckle stepped out and I was like hey I'm like that hit me he was like yeah you swung like I can't give you a, like mm. you can't go to first base you, it's still a strike and so I was like okay whatever um, didn't really think too much of it finished the game my hand swole up pretty bad Put some ice on it, like it was whatever. I just figured, obviously, I got hit in the hand. It's probably gonna swell up. Come to throw the next day, and just had a shooting pain in my hand. Like I was, I was, couldn't throw. Um, I got out to maybe 40 feet, and I was like, yeah, harm, something's wrong. Like, I gotta go get my hand checked out. So I went and got an X-ray that day. Found out I had chipped the knuckle on my pointer finger of my right hand. And the hand specialist that I went and saw, I was like, yeah, I've never seen anything like this. What, what could you have possibly done? I was like, ah, it's going to sound super embarrassing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I swung at a pitch that hit me. He's like, yeah, that is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's what happened. And then I missed the last month and a half of our season, missed our regional, uh, missed the first couple weeks of the summer. Um, and at my exit meeting, I sat down, and the first question – that Mac, the head coach, first question he asked me was, do you still want to keep hitting? And I'd always known that I was a better pitcher than I was a hitter. I've always liked pitching more than I have hitting, um, but it's hard to give it up. Like I still, I obviously still wanted to keep hitting. And at the time I just kept thinking like, wow, what would, if this had happened next year, that would be terrible. Like, What would happen if this happened my draft year? Like the year I could possibly go high. And I was like, you know, realistically, my future's on the mound. It's probably time to give up hitting. So at that exit meeting, I was like, you know, I just kind of want to focus on pitching this summer, see how it goes. Um, obviously a team guy, so, like, if you want me to hit, I'm not going to say no, but I do kind of want to focus on pitching. And from then on, it was just I'm a pitcher only. Mm -hmm. First time in my life I was officially a pitcher only. <laughs> now, going into the times you, too, you do pitch, I assume, did you have sort of the same routine – that you did when you were pitching or, or when you were hitting or did you have like two, two sort of separate ways to prepare? I feel like because there are two different aspects to the mm -hmm. game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I had two different ways to prepare. Um, but hitting and pitching are kind of two sides of the same coin. So if you know how to dominate on the mound, you can probably think through how someone's going to try to dominate you when you're in the box and vice versa. So, I mean, I think it was, it was two, definitely two separate things. There's a lot more that you had to know for like the very specific things you had to know for each side. So like, as a first baseman, you had to know where to play guys, but as a pitcher, you have to know how to pitch guys. Like, just little stuff that was different. But I'd say my preparation to pitch is a thousand times more intense than any preparation I did to hit. Because BP, I just roll out, take some swings, like, feel pretty good about myself. But pitching, I have this whole hour 15 long thing. Like, I have everything down to the minute. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. At games at 6 o'clock Friday night, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing, listening to at – 511 I can tell you exactly the song like I have a very regimented routine that I do every week so a lot more intensive um on the mound versus at the plate would you say that's more like a superstition where like if like your schedule gets thrown off it sort of like screws with your head yeah 100 percent, absolutely yeah without a doubt um this last week against BYU I had to move up no it was against Pacific um I had to move up like two minutes and the whole time I'm in my head I'm thinking oh my god 
I'm up two minutes. Like, oh, this is going to be this Didn't that good. Didn't go well, good. though? Yeah, no, it went yeah. well. Yeah. well yeah. It went well, but that's not the point. <laughs> the, point <laughs> is, the point is, it wasn't my routine. I wasn't down to the minute yeah. exactly what I wanted to be doing. Do I was do two minutes ahead. No, I did the whole thing. I just finished two minutes later. <laughs> nope, I'm doing my whole routine yeah, no matter great. when I finish. Was that the game where you had 13K? Yes, it was. Uh, not so the point. Yeah. Not <laughs> the point. The point is... <laughs> My routine got thrown off. Okay, okay. Went well, but not the <laughs> point. Oh, that's great. He's, he, he, he slugged out. He slugged out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Is there any of those superstitions that you think are like really specific and maybe really unique to you? Maybe like that song uh, you say, that one yeah, song or so, whatever. Uh, yeah, so um, I have this whole like pregame music playlist. Have to start it in order, and it can't shuffle. It has to go in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so I start warming up 45 minutes before I start pitching. From 5.10 to 5.15, I have five songs that I listen to for one minute each, always in a specific order. Um, wow. And no, it's neurotic. <laughs> no, I know no. it's well, whatever gets the job yeah. done. I mean, we're, we're not no, I have, I have these five songs I listen to in order. I have something I'm thinking at each song. Mm-hmm. Like I have this very specific visualization routine. So yes, I do have some little stuff, little quirks mm-hmm. that are very specific <laughs> to me and sound really weird when you say them out loud. But no, no, they're not weird. No, they're they're like it's it's crazy because that's that is what it takes for a lot of people to to match that high level of focus that you produce when you're out out there. And I'm wondering, did this whole routine develop naturally over time, or was it a specific? You sat down, you said, "I need to lay out something. Let's lay it out." No, it was something that developed over time. Um, so I always had like a pregame playlist, like, so I always had music, but then one day I just sat down. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a, like a full playlist. So I made a playlist. Haven't changed it since. I do need to change it. It's not that good anymore. <laughs> but, um, but it's like, okay, that, that stuff. Okay, cool. But then towards the end of last year, I started doing the visualization stuff. And then after that, I started, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to listen to these five songs every time. So then I started doing the one minute each. Um, so it's a lot of little stuff here and there over time. Um, I've developed it more. So then I go into my dynamic, which I got from high school, but then I go to weighted balls, which was here. And then long, like a lot of little things that I've combined over the last couple of years to create what I have now. Do you think you're going to add to it more? Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) Uh, not one bit. Um, I, there's, I have too much time to myself when I pitch, so why mm-hmm. not right. fill it with yeah. something? <laughs> so, so now let's, let's sort of transition to the days when you're not pitching. Do you have some, this, some sort of recovery that you do like every day that or your schedule like you stick to? Yeah. And, and sort of how are those days different from the pitching days? Yeah, so the day I pitch, um, I do the stem, like this Mark Pro thing. I do this electrical impulse thing on my arm to, for recovery. The next day, um, I have someone, like one of my teammates who's wants to be a – Therapist. something, something yeah. like that yeah. um i have him work out the knots in my shoulder um and then after that it's kind of just do whatever makes my arm feel good so like do a shoulder lift like flush that out of my arm um hit some legs like i mean other than those two things like i have to do those two things every week there's always them there's always someone working the knots out of my shoulder but like other than that it's kind of just whatever makes my arm feel good so mm-hmm. like i have a general plan of how i'm gonna throw throughout the week but each day it's kind of like, hmm, is this going to feel good? Is that going to feel good? It really, ju- it really just depends. So there's not as much of a strict regimen? No, absolutely it. not. Because it, it takes a lot to be that focused for that long time. So like yeah. 
from 45 minutes before to whenever I'm done, that's three hours. Afterwards, I'm just drained because it takes a lot to be that focused mm-hmm. and that concentrated for that long of a time. 100%. Mm-hmm. So going back to uh, you said when you're pitching, you don't want to be messed with. So what, what kind of player are you when you're in that mindset of you need to pitch well? I'm not, I'm not really a fun person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> I think I used to be a lot less of – a lot more of a angry person. Like I, I, I was not fun to be around mm-hmm. at all. I would – I'd be up there with – mad i wouldn't be even looking at anyone if someone like made an error behind me i'd be like hitting my glove uh, i come into the dugout in between innings sit by myself wouldn't talk to anyone wouldn't look at anyone now i think i'm more of an open person i think i'm more <laughs> of a friendly person um because like i'll smile up there like i'll look at people like I'll, I'll have fun but i'm still in that mindset of like don't do any like don't mm-hmm. don't mess up behind me like don't and again, I put that same pressure on myself. I shouldn't be messing up for my teammates. Um, but I don't know. I don't like people touching my stuff when I'm in the dugout. Mm-hmm. Um, almost lost it last week because someone, <laughs> someone moved my sweatshirt. And I was really, someone was wearing my sweatshirt. Actually, someone <laughs> moved it. Oh, that, <laughs> that got me hot. <laughs> oh, was not happy about that. Um, so. I think everyone just knows, don't mess with me when I'm pitching. Mm-hmm. But it's the same with a lot of pitchers. Like, yeah. don't mess with pitchers when they're in the zone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think that's how I would describe myself. So at, like, the end of the game, is that when, you know, the job is done, is that when you kind of decompress and be like, okay, I did my job, we, I did well or I didn't, and you reflect? Or is that – does that happen after you step off the mound and they take you out? Or is it – when does that kind of happen? Uh, it's as soon as I'm done – as long as I had a good outing. So if I, as long as I, as soon as I'm done, it's, oh, we're all back to all smiles, like happy. So like, what's up? Like, let's, let's banter. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's have some fun in the dugout. Um, but if I don't do well, it's kind of like, uh, give myself an inning or two to feel sorry about myself. And mm-hmm. then, and then we're back. Like, I'm fine. But it's really, as soon as I'm done pitching, that's when all the weight's off my shoulders, mm-hmm. loads off, uh, my stomach returns to normal. And I'm, I'm, a fun person to be around again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so going into even more specific about your pitching is initially you were a, like a two a two pitcher two pitch pitcher where you only had the fastball and the slider. And recently I read that you're you developed a sort of a bit of a changeup and you even throw a curveball in there. He did his so, research. Yeah. So yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you come prepared. You, you, I love you, it. No, you're gonna ho- hopefully be in the MLB, so you know you want to do a good job here. Right? So, <laughs> so when when did that happen for you? When you realized I couldn't be just a two pitch pitcher? Uh, I think that moment clicked when I was pitching against the Olympic team this summer. They scored eight runs on me in an inning and a third. What's the <laughs> Olympics? Are these like pros? The or? team that played at the Olympics for the United States this oh, summer. Dang. I pitched against them. I gave up eight runs in an inning and a third. Um, I got two home runs hit off me. I had innings rolled because I wasn't getting enough outs. Um, and at the same time, this 42-year-old guy who used to pitch in the MLB was pitching against my team. And I think the first nine guys, he struck out eight of them. And it was just like, he's out there just dicing through my team. I'm sitting down for like five minutes, and I'm watching him do this. And then I have to go out, get my ass kicked again. And the whole time I'm thinking, wow, what is he doing? Like, what is it that he's doing that I need to be able to do? And the thing was, he's just, he wasn't throwing 98. Like, he's throwing, like, I don't know, 88, 90, like, nothing crazy. Um, but he's throwing a f- changeup in any count, anywhere he wanted, like, any location. And 
as I'm watching him do this, at the same time that I'm only throwing fastballs um, and getting everything hit off me, I'm like, wow, I, I should probably do that. Like, that seems like a good <laughs> idea. Because um, I don't like yeah. this feeling. I really don't like this feeling. So, yeah, it was after that when I was like, okay, if I want to make the next step, if I want to keep playing after this, I need to develop a changeup. I need to have something other than a fastball slider because this is not going to cut it. Like, it might be fine against college guys. And I'd done fine against college guys in the weeks preceding that. But I was like, if I want to make it to the next level, and these are the guys at the next level, I'm not going to make it if I don't have something else. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned the, when you said the 42 year old guy, I don't know why, why my mind went straight to Bartolo Colon, even though it definitely it was not Bartolo Colon. But whenever whenever you do an old baseball pitcher, I just think of Bartolo Colon and you. Oh, that'd be hilarious. That would be not Bartolo Colon. Bartolo Colon. And but so, what exactly was that process like of adding that new pitch? I assume you work with the pitching coach pretty closely, but yeah, take a while to sort of develop it. Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny because. One of the things about breaking my hand was that I had to tape my two fingers together. So I had to take my pointer finger and middle finger together. And for a while, I just couldn't throw. But once I did start throwing, anytime I threw, I had to kind of throw a change-up grip because I couldn't hold it like a fastball. So I just had to throw a change-up. So for two, three weeks, all I did was throw change-ups. And after I, start, after I was able to untape my fingers and throw, I was like, oh, that, that motion actually comes pretty naturally now. <laughs> like, that, that's not that hard. Mm-hmm. So... I think the process of it, like that started it, like just being comfortable. But in the fall, the process just became, okay, I need to throw this 20 times a day. Um, and on my outings, I need to emphasize this because that's what it's going to be. I just need to be able to be comfortable throwing it by repeating it. So throughout the fall, every day I'd throw it 20 times I, in my outings. I'd throw it, emphasize it. Even if I didn't have to, I'd call it in any count. Um, and so that was – like you said, um, working really pl- closely with the pitching coach, that was something we both wanted to emphasize was I need to be able to throw a changeup. And so I just started throwing it. I like started throwing it more and as much as I possibly could. Oh, well, it sounds like it's working well for adding to your game and making you more of a, uh, a controlled pitcher. You have a lot more control against these at, uh, batters. So stepping away from the baseball side of things, you're, you're a smart guy. You're graduating <laughs> in three years with a biology major, which is – being a student athlete that's that's very difficult to do so is um for you is the desire to use that degree something you want to take a hold of later on or you obviously it seems like baseball is number one so what do you see as like foresee as your future in terms of your major that you've had with biology yeah so like i said earlier a big part of why i came here is because my parents wanted me to get an education and something my mom always says that she's right, but she always says it. Some of my mom always says is, you know, she always told me your brain's going to take you farther than your body ever will. So part of my desire to graduate was just whatever happens this coming spring, or I guess whatever happens this coming summer, because um, the draft's in July, whatever happens then, if it doesn't go how I want, I always have something. I've always have a backup plan, something I can fall back on, um, because I do like I, I do really enjoy science. I love biology, and I've loved a lot of the classes I've had. Um, but my desire was just to always have something I could fall back on in case baseball didn't work. Because I came to college, assuming I was just gonna play baseball, like have some for another couple of years. Um, but then eventually, at the end of the day, I was probably gonna go to med school eventually, because um, that was 
statistically baseball wasn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. But now that it looks like I might have an opportunity to keep playing after this spring, my desire is just to have something I can fall back on that I'm passionate about in case it doesn't go my way in a couple of years. Um, there's always something I have that's a backup plan. That's something I can go back to school for and do for the rest of my life. Do you have a certain job or profession that you want to go into? That like something that's really sticks out to you that you just done well naturally? Not really. Um, you know, I always go on to go to med school because like I mentioned, both my parents are doctors. So I kind of just grew up around them. But I always figured if it got to that point, something I like would jump out at me. I never really went in assuming, oh, like I want to be a neurosurgeon. Um, I just figured something would pop out. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a very impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was never, I always struggle with oh, science yeah. extremely. Well, I'm, I'm still working on my plan A. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you were talking about that experience in USA Baseball you had. So you, you did that last summer, and you're, you're planning to do that this summer as well, correct? I'm not planning oh, to do no. this okay. summer. Just so last, just last, summer. Just last, last summer. summer. Just last summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I saw on the Twitter they posted a graphic, and you were on it. So I thought maybe that was your goal. No, I think, I think they were just using my picture. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they want to invite me back. I'm not going to say no, yeah. but I'm pretty sure they're not planning on having me back. Yeah. So what was that experience like? Was there a lot of traveling with that? Did you ever go overseas, or was pandemic kept it mo- mostly domestic? And you mentioned playing against the MLB players. Were they their MLB players, the Olympic guys? Yeah, ex-MLB players or guys on le- that weren't on the 40-man roster, yeah. so like top prospects okay. for each organization. Got it. Um, so this year was it was kind of it was different because you couldn't go overseas. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get into Cuba, and I don't think Japan was open at the time. Um, so what they did was instead of the normal 25 guys will make up the team, they invited 42, something like that, and divided it into like an East West type thing. So all the guys from California, Arizona, me, the lone guy from the Pacific Northwest, um, and Texas were all on the West team. And then everyone from Florida, Georgia, Alabama, those guys were all on the East team. And what we did was we played, I think 11 games against each other and all of the games were in these uh the mlb had just they just restructured the minor leagues and they'd cut i don't know 40 teams from it and so all the games we played were in the ballparks for these uh teams that just been cut from minor league baseball so it's kind of like a uh like a little compensation like a little slide you a little favor thing um like sorry we just cut you but hey here's here's the collegiate national team coming and playing at your place um so we just played 11 straight games against each other um we stay at a hotel for five days, um, and we drive to three places, come back that night, then we go to a new hotel in West Virginia, stay there for a couple days, drive uh, to a couple places, drive back, go to North Carolina, stay there for a couple days. So it was just kind of all over the place um, in North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, and uh, West Virginia. Um, and then right before the Olympic team left for Tokyo, we got to play three games against them. Um, and I got to pitch the first game. Got yeah, <laughs> did we not do well the first. Yeah, game. Got, got bumped around. <laughs> yeah, we'll let that go. That's, yeah. that's in the past now. But we'll that one. yeah, I mean, <laughs> the whole experience was just absolutely unbelievable. Like I think I think the the coolest part for me was we're sitting in this hotel um, during the first day of the MLB draft, and probably like twenty something guys are sitting there. One of the guys, his dad's the GM of the Kansas City Royals. So he's telling us all these like background information. He's like, hey, here's who the Royals are going to try to target at three. Like, here's here's what they're thinking. Um, and I just had this moment where I'm sitting there. I'm like, wow, 
know, all these guys I'm sitting here right now with right now, these are all going to be first round draft picks next year. Like what a cool room to be sitting in. Um, and what a cool time to be sitting in that room during the draft. And I think going into this year, that's when the moment clicked where I was like, you know, if I'm sitting with all these guys who are going to be drafted in the first round next year and I belong in this room, why can't that be me? Like, why, why am I seeing this? Like, Oh, that's national player of the year. Like all Americans over here, um, SEC players, ACC players. And I'm like, cause obviously there's a little bit of, you know, I'm coming into this from this small little school in Washington um, and playing against guys who just won the national championship, just won the college world series. But yeah, it was just, it was a really cool moment where I was sitting in there. I was like, wow, what a cool room to be in. Like these are some great players. Um, and like, this is something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Now, now sticking to the draft and sort of talking about the draft, th is there a chance that this baseball season would go past sort of the draft or, and, and would your training change at all? Like, does your training change just in the season and then while preparing for the draft? Or would that all sort of no, just, there's, just stay the same? No, because the new CBA, the draft's going to be in mid-July now. So in years past, I think before this, before 2020, the draft had been right around the College World Series. Um, so people had still been playing. It was a really weird time because you'd still be playing for another couple of weeks. But now they moved it so far back that nothing's going to overlap with it. The College World Series is done by the time the draft rolls around. Um, and everyone just has some time off before to train on their own. Because, um, yeah, off-season tra training does look a little different than in-season training, just in volume and what kind of work you do. Right. So – with Gonzaga's history of players that's been drafted, the last one that went in the first round was Marco Gonzalez um, in 2013. He's with the Mariners. Yeah. So, is there in this in this program is there a lot of communication and across that in terms of players that go on to the MLB and then they they come back or they come and speak or you have direct contact with them? Yeah. So Marco's came back and spoke to my team a couple times um, since I've been here. Uh, Wyatt Mills, who I think got drafted in 2017, um, he came back and spoke to my team. Tyler Olson, who got drafted in 2015, maybe earlier than that, um, he came back and spoke. So something really cool about the program is just like the sense of family and having those guys come back. Because I, like I can't speak for other programs, but I think it's really cool to have former players who go on to play in the MLB come back and talk to you guys. And something really cool about this program was that when I was still a two-way Harm asked if I want, like, he asked if I want to set up a meeting with Marco so, like, I could talk to him about being a two-way because Marco was a two-way in college. He won the award for best two-way in the country. Um, so he was like, he, he asked if I want to set up a meeting with him. And when I eventually had that meeting, it ended up being, like, an hour long. We talked for an hour, hour 15 minutes just about the level of competitiveness you need to play at the next level, like, what kind of intangibles it is, what separates everyone. Because um, it, it was just a really cool experience to be able to talk to a guy who's started on opening day for a major league team. Um, and after that, he was like, hey, like, you have my number now. Like, if you ever need anything. So, like, going into the season, I texted him. I was like, hey, like, I, like, I just need some advice. Um, like, I feel like you've been here before playing on Team USA, going into the season with a lot of expectations. Like, how do you deal with that pressure? How do you, how do you always deal with, like, people always expecting stuff from you? And he gave me some really good advice. So I, th I think it's a really cool part of the program that, we're able to reach out to guys who have gone on to succeed after um, and just ask for advice. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, before we go into these, we have these fun get to know you questions. Uh, I'd want to know for like a fan of Gonzaga, just to, to understand 
where the team is at currently and what, what you guys expect your team to do and what's the plan uh, when you head into postseason, what's what's the goals maybe individually as well as a, as a team? I know that big sweep of Oklahoma State was probably huge for you guys. Yeah, yeah. that was huge. Um, and I think that goal kind of that, – that series kind of shaped our season because it's hard to go into a top five team and sweep them at their place. And we walked out and we just won three games against the top five team in the country. It was like, wow, I mean, if we can sweep them in three games, like – who can't we beat? Like, where can't we beat them? And so, obviously, the goal is always Omaha. Like, we always want to make it to the College World Series. But now I think it's a little more realistic, knowing that we have this series under our belt where we went in and beat them in three straight games. Because all it takes to make it to Omaha is you have to win three games, weekend one, two games, weekend two. That's all you have. To, you have to win five games in a row. Like, that's it's that's it. Like, when you, <laughs> when you put it like that, it seems really simple. But yeah. that's it. It's just winning five games in a row. Yeah. And... So I think that's that's our goal this year. Um, we got a little taste of it last year in the regional. Didn't end how we wanted, left a sour taste. But the goal is always Omaha, and you know, I think we have the talent to get there, and I think we have the drive to get there. Well, that's good. Any Gonzaga fans listening, which is should be everyone. Hopefully. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in town, you should go out and watch this team because you guys are special. This is a special group of guys. And last year, um, that with you having to sit out in that latter half, probably uh, was a big hit to the pitching staff and be able to have – you, Reeling, and uh, Kempner, right? So your your Friday, Saturday, Sunday pitchers all keying and going going good. You know that it's gonna look good. Hopefully, when that time comes, when postseason run comes around. So yeah, if you're a fan, know go, about go, this. Go team. check them out. Yeah, know yeah. about it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Thomas briefly mentioned it, but this is sort of where we get to know you sort of off off the field and just like what you do in your own free time. And so I feel like it allows people to connect with the athletes a little bit more. But um, we, we know you like to read, so we're going to start off with the first question. Um, do you have a favorite book or author that you usually read, to read about? Um, I think my favorite book, maybe one that had the most impact on me. I don't know. I always like, I like Harry Potter. Love the Harry Potter that. series. read that like seven times. <laughs> um, I like the book Relentless by Tim Grover. He's uh, okay. Kobe and MJ's personal trainer. And so he, he wrote a book about working with them. That and sounds really interesting. Kind of what it's like to work with a competitive athlete that like at that high of a level. Um, I like the book Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, Is that the one they just made got, yeah, movie? just made into a movie. Um, Zendaya in it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so it's yeah. a long book. Isn't it's it? a it's a really long book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got I got really bored uh, one <laughs> week and was like, you know what, I'm gonna read this. Why not? Uh, ended up being a really good book. Um, okay. It was a decent movie. It only had about. Half. Anyways, that's a, that's a really good book. So I, I'd say those are probably some of my top three: Harry mm-hmm. Potter, Relentless, and probably Dune. Yeah, those are good, good, good selections. So this question is kind of reaching back into that routine of having a playlist, but specifically maybe one song. If you, you're all, not a two-way player anymore, but what would be your choice of walkout or walk-up song? If I was a, so, I have one as a pitcher. Um, it's just Spanish song. Um, okay. If I was a hitter, if I had another choice, uh, I don't know. I'd probably do something. Rock, like classic rock. So mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. I think that'd be really cool. Um, I was pro- I was gonna do Butterfly Effect my freshman year, but then someone had already <laughs> taken it, so couldn't really do that. Um, so yeah, I, I have mine right now is a Spanish song that I had last year too um, that I like. What's well, the name? Yeah, Te Bote. Okay. okay. Who's it? Who's that by? Uh, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. Uh, Ozuna. 
know, they're like four others. Mm-hmm. It's like it's this huge song. But what was your walk up song last year? Same same song. Oh, it was the same, same song, song for yeah. pitching and hitting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, so I assume as athletes, you guys like all have cheat days. And so what would be your favorite cheat day meal that you just always go to? My cheat day meal is a Red Baron brick crust pepperoni pizza. Um, Ooh, it is, okay. it is, it's my, it's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> it is, um, I mean, my, I, I get like ice cream too. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, a pepperoni pizza and some mint chocolate chip ice cream. Mm. From, from a specific pizza place? or No, no, I just get it from Walmart. I just get it frozen. Yeah, just get it frozen, throw it in the oven. The uh, simple things. Yeah, simple. exactly. Oh, but so good. <laughs> just it hits every time. Oh, that's, that's great. So, funny. Um, so going to, you talked about Mariano Rivera as your maybe your favorite athlete in terms of baseball. Is there a favorite athlete currently that you like to, wa- to watch in baseball? And then maybe also an athlete that, that inspires you that's outside of the sport of baseball. Uh, I think my favorite baseball player right now is Shohei Otani. Um, that was more when I was a two-way, but it's still really fun yeah. to watch him because um, he's super cool. I like Jacob DeGrom, too, because he's an incredible pitcher. Um, outside of the sport of baseball. Uh, hmm. It could be someone historical, no, too. No, I know, I know. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Simone Biles. Okay. She is – she, they had to change the rules because she was so good. So I She's, think she is absolutely. Yeah, insane. I think being that good at something, um, I mean, it deserves everyone respect. So I think, I mean, just watching her is so much fun. It's it's crazy because my mom's like huge like, into gymnastics. Usually, usually whenever it's like Olympics or like the qualifying championships, she always wants to watch it with me. And it's insane, like how athletic. Absolutely, like gymnasts are like it's it's, it's crazy. Absolutely. You don't understand. You don't understand <laughs> until like you actually like watch it and, and like analyze you, it. And when you look up like how tall she is, she's five feet. Yeah, right? yeah, no, she's tiny. She's really she's, small, but she's 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 ripped too. You shredded, have to be so shredded, shredded absolutely to, to match that that level of excellence. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable the sacrifice, especially with women's gymnastics, because they have what the. They have a lot of high schoolers uh, that there do are sixteen-year-olds that, that competing in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. So yeah. they, for that sport, they have to sacrifice a lot of time to be able to compete at the highest level when they're what in high school. Yeah. It's just insane. crazy. Absolutely, Absolutely ridiculous. That's a that's a great answer. I, would, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that, but now mm-hmm. that you say it, definitely a name that comes to mind. Um, so I, I assume you have a favorite base favorite baseball team, MLB team. It, uh, do you have any like uh, just favorite teams in general, like other sports or? Not really. Um, and I would say I'm a very casual baseball fan. I wouldn't say I watch every game. Like I don't really follow that. That mm-hmm. like if I if I had to say I had a favorite team, like obviously the Yankees. But in football and basketball, I don't really have a favorite team. Um, Cause <laughs> this is gonna it's not gonna sound great, <laughs> but I don't really watch a lot of sports. Um, like I'll watch baseball if it's on, but. Yeah. I'm not gonna like sit down and watch an NFL game from start mm-hmm. to finish. Like I'll watch most of it. Like yeah. if it's playoffs, obviously I'm gonna watch it. Super Bowl, Always. obviously gonna watch it. Yeah. But I have other things to do. So <laughs> I have better things to do with my time. So I, I wouldn't say I'm that invested in professional sports. That's why there's fans in the stands and athletes on the field. Exactly. Those athletes, they're the ones who probably do that same thing. That sacrifice of taking away the fanship yeah. and becoming focused on your craft, which is which is obviously the right thing to do for you. So here's a, a little more specific question. So let's say, yeah, hypothetical. Kay. Say you're stuck on an island. Okay. You have to bring three things to keep your sanity, but food is there, 
Okay. Water's there. You are clothed as okay. well. <laughs> three, <laughs> yeah. things. three things to keep your sanity. What the, are they? The, does he have shelter? Yes, you have, okay, you so have shelter. So all the essentials okay. to live you have, I guess, are okay. like three yeah. extra three things. Three things to keep my sanity. But it's just okay. you. It's just you. Yeah. Okay. Number one, Nintendo DS. Okay. I think greatest piece of video gaming technology really? of all time. Really? Okay. So okay. I'm bringing a Nintendo DS. Uh, number two, hmm, is there Wi-Fi? This this Ooh. really this this is important. That's a make my or next break. answer. Well, okay, well, so let's is say, he on an? So he's on let's an say island. This. Yeah, so it's, let's say he's on an island. If you if you want Wi-Fi, you that has to be one of the things you bring. I'll say mm. that. Ooh, so you could bring that other thing that tough. lets you use Wi-Fi, that's but you gotta tough. bring the Wi-Fi okay. as one of your that's things. Tough. Yeah, okay. I imagine there's like one equipment you could bring that just gives you Wi-Fi. We'll just yeah. Okay, so Nintendo DS. I'm bringing a personal hotspot. So there, I'm bringing Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, yeah, bring Wi-Fi. And then I'm bringing an iPad because I want the Kindle app for something to read mm-hmm. and then something to stream. So like Netflix, Hulu, whatever it Very is, uh, I need something to watch. So I got I got something to play, something to watch, and something to read. That's smart. I know we haven't thought of it, but like what what would come to your mind for things you would you would bring? Hmm. I'd bring a boat so I could leave. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring my own uh, personal airplane and then yeah. just fly out whenever yeah. I want to. No, I'd probably. Oh man, I I don't know. I I you know, I'd probably I wrote bring the question. Some, but I'd should. probably bring some piece of electronic equipment like a phone or a computer, definitely. Oh, I'd bring my guitar for sure. No, mm, oh, yeah, that's good. I was, oh, that's smart that you bring Nintendo because you don't have to bring. You don't have to have a TV to play. Exactly. It. Like with Xboxes and Playstations, you need a TV, which would be another piece of equipment. Yeah. That's really smart. Or like a PlayStation, even. Or like exactly. a Switch, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think. I'm surprised you came <laughs> up with your answer so quickly. I was very, it, it's, it, I feel like it'd take me a minute to think about what I actually Yeah, it's, it's a fun one, though. I like that. It, it is. It sort yeah. of brings out the, the imagination. Yeah, for sure. People. Yeah. Um, so we came up with this question, too, but I'll ask it. I think it's a really cool question. Um, going back to your two-way roots. Would you think it'd be a bit, would it be a better feeling for you if you had a one two three inning cap with the strikeout, or just absolutely launching absolutely four hundred ball? Yep, launch ball. With the, yep, without a question, <laughs> without there, a doubt. But is there is there anything comparable in the pitching side of things? No. Like not even not even, no. not no, even no, a no no not even no. a no no. I'm sure it would, but I've never done that. <laughs> yeah. I've hit a lot of home runs in my life, yeah. but I've never yeah. thrown a no hitter. So yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, then then would you either throw a no hitter or hit a four hundred fifty foot home run? Hmm. Throw no hitter, obviously. <laughs> Four hundred fifty foot grand slam to win the game, or no hitter. No hitter. That's, that's not even a question. <laughs> oh no, I'm trying to li- 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 raise the stakes a little bit. Yeah, but before before we close it out, I want to know because I watched some film of you. When you, I, I really like your your posture and your your are stoic after you K someone up and you do this kind of like a strut around the mound. <laughs> so what is that? That feeling like, because obviously a normal person doesn't enjoy that yeah, feeling. I guess. <laughs> when you when you actually dice someone up at the plate and you walk off after that last pitch to strike them out, what is what's going on in your mind and like how are you feeling right there? Uh, you know, it, it really just depends. I think probably the most prevalent thought in my mind: strike someone out and start walking around the mound. It's go. I'm better than you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes it might be a bad pitch, so I'll walk off like, ooh, that was okay like <laughs> that wasn't great um or it's a really good pitch i'm like yeah i'm still better than you <laughs> so that's kind of what goes to my head <laughs> when you hit your home runs do you do you always try to like emphasize the bat flip and sort of just like throw it back in their face a little bit 
Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, the way I look at it, you know, I'm just, I'm just admiring my handiwork. You yeah. know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta take a moment to admire the view. Absolutely. If I'm gonna yeah. hit a ball 400 just feet. Absolutely. Yeah. Watch, watch, yeah. That, so watch that walk, thing sail Walk away. out, walk out, get uh, a nice little, nice little flip, yeah. and then take your time around the bases. Would you ever do a Jose Bautista and just chuck that thing? Nah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that, like I'm not that out there, yeah. that boisterous. I'm but s- you know, I'm so, kind of surprised. I feel like someone in baseball would maybe adopt even more of a unique celebration with the bat like personally for me my me and my buddies back home we do wiffle ball in the summer and we have a lot of fun with it and one of the things i would like to do is after i have a good hit or if i hit a home run i would take the bat and use it as a prop so i'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like a rower and i'd be home doing this. the bat with you as yeah, you're running and like, no, as i'm walking the oh. bases just rowing the bat or something or doing something like or sometimes i'll lay it on the ground and then i'll and then I'll have a couple of my teammates come over and we'll like leapfrog over it or something. You know what you should do just to really. <laughs> we can't rub- obviously do that That's in a baseball good. game. You know what you should do <laughs> right. to, rub- you to rub it in? Just take as long as you can walking around the bases and use the bat as like a walking stick. <laughs> yeah, for. <laughs> and just get up and just start walking <laughs> and just make the- and just stare at the guy the entire time as you're walking around. That that does work for wiffle ball, but it wouldn't obviously work <laughs> yeah. for baseball. Yeah, I know. Uh, having having been hit in the head before <laughs> with fastball, it's- don't want to repeat it. So <laughs> yeah, was that was that because you like? No, no. No, it was oh, just okay. purely accidental. Uh, however, not a fun experience. <laughs> yeah. Would not recommend it. No. Giancarlo Stanton would know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want that. Well, um, with that being said, we want to thank you for coming on the show, Gabe. We had, a, we had a great time. And obviously, good luck with the rest of the season and beyond. And we'll, we'll be cheering you on, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. <laughs>